I am going to um, start off, and I'm going to share a personal story and get a little vulnerable with you. And um, yeah, this will be fun. So um, probably about, it's been almost 10 years ago that uh, my husband Derek and I were co-leading and we were hosting a VCDC um, small group with Bill and Misty Carpenter. And as I look out, some of you attended that group. So you might remember this night um, and share in my pain. Um, but my husband, Derek, was leading our discussion and he was talking about God's relentless pursuit of humanity. Sounds great so far. But then he created an imaginary person for us. He created this person that was like a mesh of different stereotypes in society that not that we struggled with, but the ones that we despise. The ones that we want to destroy. We want God to take down and just diminish them. And I don't know who that is for you. Um, to be, make it a little bit more real, it could be the terrorists that you're reading about on the news today. It could be a physically abusive parent or spouse. Um, I know this one is a little tender, but it could be the school shooter. It could be the kid at school that is bullying your child relentlessly. The places where you go, I don't just struggle with it, it's painful. It hurts, and I want revenge, or I want justice. And so I'm going to pose to you the question that Derek posed to us that night. He asked us, okay, so understanding that God is pursuing even this person that you despise and you hate, he's pursuing them, and he wants to reconcile them back into relationship with him. If God asked you to reach out to that person and pursue that person, would you? So think about that. Personalize that a second. Make that real. And as I contemplated, um, it would be an understatement to say, I became very mad. I became very emotional. And there was anger. Because I didn't like that question, and I didn't want to have to face it. Now, anger may be a very natural, correct response to somebody who's offended and especially repeatedly, and done terrible, destructive things. But for me that night, what I realized was, if I were God, I would choose not to pursue that person. That's where I was at. But our ways are not God's ways, are they? God is a missional God, and what I mean by that that he is in the business of loving people and pursuing people and restoring humanity, all of humanity, back to him. And that's where my theology was pretty messed up. I thought God thought like I did. I thought justice in my mind would be defined the same way by God, and it wasn't. So this started me probably on a mission, at least the first time I can remember, where God really started to work in my heart on these issues. And he started to put his, his hand on places in my heart that didn't line up with him. And it, he's done a lot, but I'm a work in progress, as all of you are. 
We never arrive. We never get there. Thank goodness he's a forgiving, loving God. But this example is not unlike the task that our prophet for today's discussion faced as well. Jonah was called by God to give a message to a city that was his greatest enemy. He hated this city. They were his, just his worst enemy. But today, we're going to see how God's great love and his mercy is for all people, and we don't get to choose. God chooses. So let's pray. We just love your presence, Lord, and we say, come, Holy Spirit. Would you just open this story to our hearts, Lord? We thank you that we can come as we are and you receive us, but that you don't want us to leave that way. You want to change and transform our hearts today. So would you breathe on the scripture? Would you just let it come alive in our hearts? Lord, would you give me clarity and grace and strength for today? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so last week, JT kicked off our new series, Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. And he introduced to us our first minor prophet, which was Hosea. So there's 12 minor prophets, and we're only going to be looking at a handful of them in the coming weeks. And one thing I want to remind you that he said, he defined what a prophet is, and that's very important for us to understand, because often we think prophets are delivering messages of the future, of things to come, and sometimes they do. But truly, at the fundamental level, a prophet is someone called by God to speak on his behalf. Simply said. So God calls someone, he gives them a message to deliver to a person or a group of people, and that is their responsibility to respond in obedience and go deliver that message. So today we're going to look at the minor prophet Jonah. So you can turn to the book of Jonah, that's where we're going to sit today in your Bibles or on your phones, and if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on this uh, stage and then also on the sound booth. And can I just say, Jonah is only four chapters long. It's just over like 1,300 words. It's about a smidge in the Bible, and it's hard to find. So no judgment if you need to use your index or table of contents to locate this book, because you can just kind of breeze right by it. So as you're looking for it, I'll give you a little background on Jonah. He is by far the whiniest, most selfish Hebrew prophet from a village located in the region of Galilee. No judgment. <laughs> no. I definitely think we're all going to be able to relate to Jonah, but as we get towards the end of the story, we see more of his heart revealed. And we'll just leave it at that. So he is a Hebrew prophet. Um, the book itself, the author is really unknown. Some people attribute it to Jonah. Um, but many, because he's portrayed in such a negative manner, say, well, he probably wouldn't have written that about himself, especially as the, the chapter ends, you see that he doesn't change a whole lot. But um, some people believe it was written by someone else and um, written at a later time. Now, the date written, we don't know. But Jonah prophesied during the reign of King Jeroboam II from 793 to 753 B.C. 
And this book is different from the other prophetic books because it's a narrative. It tells the story of the prophet and it doesn't center on his prophecies. And to be honest, God's given him one message to convey and through four chapters, he struggles with it. So it's more about him And because of that, we're going to spend time, a little bit of time, walking through all four chapters so we can see a theme that's weaving through these chapters that I think God has for us today. Also, Jonah is the only prophet given a message of repentance and mercy to preach directly to a Gentile city, so not the people of Israel. So we're not going to read all four chapters, but we are going to begin in chapter 1, verse 1. So you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screens. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So right away, the story begins, and point one on our outline is God calls Jonah. He calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against the city because its wickedness has come to the Lord's attention, and he's sending Jonah there to deliver a message. He's sending him there to deliver a warning. So when you look at the city of Nineveh, it's referred to as a great city. It was a large, substantial city. It later becomes the capital of Assyria, and he's to preach against it because of its wickedness, which I think is understated. And if you read anything about the history of Assyria and Nineveh, they were, very, they were a very evil pagan community. There was lots of um, torture, uh, death, Dead people all through the city, destruction, prostitution, and the list goes on and on. And wherever your minds can go, it probably existed there. So God is more than displeased with this city and these people. He's enraged. Instead of rising up and going, as commanded by the Lord, what does Jonah do? And your first fill in the blank. Jonah flees, right? Jonah flees by going to Joppa and boarding a ship to Tarshish. And we read that Jonah refuses to obey God's call to him. Now, other prophets had raised objections to the Lord's call on their lives, but Jonah's direct disobedience is very unique. And the reason for Jonah's refusal to obey is not revealed at this time. So you got to stay and stick around till the end of the message, and we'll get to see what is revealed later on in chapter 4. So he flees to Tarshish. And let me just say, if you say that 10 times fast, that is the hardest word to say, so I need to stop saying it because I'm fumbling on it. So the significance of, say it, is that it lies across the Mediterranean in exactly almost the opposite direction of Nineveh where God had told him to go. So he resides here in Galilee and you have, I'm sorry, you have um, Tarshish. Tarshish over here 
right? And he's told to go to Nineveh. Actually, it'd be opposite. That's my direction. But anyways, he goes almost opposite the direction and fleeing and running, right? Now, I suspect we could be a little judgmental, but I really suspect that you can understand and relate to Jonah in some way. Is anyone here running from God? Whether he's asked something of you, or maybe you've done something or said something that you know is displeasing to him, and you're trying to hide from him. Or maybe there's areas of your life that you just don't want to hand over to God. So I ask you today, are you running away from God or are you running toward God? Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. See, Jonah was trying to run from God, just like we try to run from God. But we can't hide from God. God is everywhere. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's right here inside you, in your spirit. He goes everywhere with you. The Holy Spirit is there. He knows all things. He sees all things. And even as Michael made reference, as, as we sleep at night, He's watching over us. His eyes are always gazing upon us. He's not human like us. And no matter how hard we try, we can neither evade the Lord's presence or his calling. So Jonah, he runs and boards this ship. And this is by far, what's coming up next is probably the most familiar part of this story. Even as a person who was unchurched most of my life, I had heard the story of Jonah and the big fish. So I'm going to summarize it, but I think it's important. There's something in each chapter that God is impressing upon us today. So in verses 4 through 16, what it describes is the Lord sends a fierce storm while he's on the ship to get Jonah's attention. And so the sailors that are on the ship with him, they're terrified so what do they do? They're, they're trying to take all measures to save themselves. And so they're throwing their cargo overboard in, in an attempt to keep the ship from sinking. But the sea continues to rage and the waters are getting rougher and rougher. And then Jonah eventually, in conversation with these pagan sailors he's with, he says to them, he confesses, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And he confesses that he's running from God. So they start to see what's going on here and what, what the cause of this storm is. So as the storm continues to increase and they're just terrified, Jonah, they ask Jonah what they should do. How do we make the sea calm? What is it that God wants? And Jonah tells them, throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, the sea will calm and you will be fine. 
So they don't immediately do it. They're pagans, but they're, they're pretty decent people. They try to row back to shore. They try some other things that are unsuccessful. So eventually they're like, okay, we'll take his advice, and they throw him into the sea. Now the sailors, they did not follow God. In fact, they had been crying out, each of them, to his own God, lowercase g, earlier in the story. But now, the sailors begin crying out to the Lord for his mercy. And they're even making vows to him as their Lord. We see repentance here. That's exactly what they're doing. And as they do that, God calms the sea. And what we see here is the first of many illustrations that we're going to see throughout this book of God's great mercy and grace and that it's for all people. He doesn't discriminate like we do. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care where you live, how much money you make. He doesn't care about that. What he cares about is your heart and that your heart is turned towards him. And the Lord is as concerned about pagan sailors in a storm as he is with his chosen people of Israel. But for Jonah, death by drowning in the sea is preferred to fulfilling the command to go and preach in Nineveh. And though his heart is not aligned with God's at this point, does God give up on him? Nope, he doesn't. And you'll see in the final verse, it says that the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now I know that can be a very, um, it's a miraculous thing. And sometimes it's hard to wrap your minds around that. But that was God preserving his life, protecting him and not giving up on him. And that should be our heart as well. Now we're not provided a whole lot of information about that whole experience in, in the belly of the whale or the big fish. Some people say the whale. But we do start to see a change in Jonah. In chapter one, he was running from God and he wanted to die. But in chapter two, Almost the entire chapter is a prayer that Jonah prayed from inside the fish. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, where he expresses gratitude to God for deliverance from danger and death. He expresses his confidence in the ultimate deliverance from his situation. And he expresses his confession of faith in the Lord and his promise to fulfill his vows. This isn't up on the screen, but I want to share this C.S. Lewis quote. Pain exists upon being attended. I'm sorry, I'm going to say that again. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I think this is all a reflection of what, what I think we do. We take God for granted when things are going well. When life is really good, we don't turn to him. But when we get in desperate circumstances, like sitting in the belly of a big fish, 
with lots of seaweed all around you and going, am I going to live? Am I going to live? Am I going to die? We get in those desperate situations and all at once we go, oh, I need God. And if we could only see our need for God all the time, in the peaks, in the valleys, the highs and the lows, and the celebrations and the disappointments and the sickness, if we just could see we need him all the time, our life wouldn't be such a roller coaster, would it? So Jonah cries out to God, and then it closes this chapter in verse 10 as the Lord commands the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land, and his life is preserved. Now again, we see here that the Lord is, not, is as concerned about pagan sailors in a storm as he is with his chosen people of Israel and even his disobedient servant who is fleeing him. We see God's mercy and grace is extended to all people. And what we see at the beginning of chapter three is we see that God is a God of second chances. Let's pick up there and read. Verse one, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by doing a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So point two on your outline, we see that God calls Jonah a second time. He's giving him a second chance. He's not done with Jonah, no matter how disobedient his servant has been. And then your next fill in the blank, how does Jonah respond? Jonah obeys, as should we. Now it's interesting, I read what he proclaims, and we don't know if that's everything he said, but it was pretty weak if it was. There's no mention of the Lord. There's no mention of bowing down and who he belongs to. There's not a real witnessing of who God is, but who knows? And if he didn't, I believe God can impart that and change hearts supernaturally. And we see in verse five, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Now, the wearing of sackcloth is both a sign of mourning, but also a sign of repentance. And the king issues a proclamation for everyone to fast, even the animals. No food, no drink. And he said everyone was to urgently call on the Lord and turn from their evil ways. This was a pagan king. This is an example to us again of repentance. 
And you know, repentance can be, we can do it really well, or sometimes we just kind of do it a little. And repentance is just going, I'm headed here, turned away from God, and now I'm going to reverse that direction and head toward God. I'm going to invite him into here. I'm going to invite him into my life. And we don't always do it perfectly, and sometimes, you know, just a little bit, God sees that. And he goes, well done, child, well done. Just keep coming to me. And we see in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God's a merciful God. God allows things to happen in our lives to change our hearts to change things in us that we can't change on our own. We need him. We need the Holy Spirit to do it for us. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God wants to bring healing in our hearts. He just wants us to come to him. And once again, we see here that the Lord is concerned, as concerned about pagan sailors in a storm and the wicked people of Nineveh as he is with his chosen people of Israel and his disobedient fleeing servant Jonah. And that message again, God's grace and mercy and love is for all people. No one is discriminated against. Now I'm going to continue reading, and I'm actually going to read all the way through chapter 4, because I think it tells us a lot and reveals a lot to us. It's 11 verses, so if you want to follow along. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is, why I, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord rep replied, Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And of course, Jonah was very happy about that plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about that plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. 
But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there were more than 120,000 people who could not tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So back in verse 2, we see something revealed here. We see Jonah's reason for disobeying God and fleeing the opposite direction of Nineveh. He speaks it right out. He despised the city of Nineveh. He hated the city of Nineveh. And he knew if he took God's message to them and they repented, God would spare them from destruction. I think Jonah was trying to play God. He thought he knew what was best. And his pride, his sin, had reduced him to a disobeying, fleeing servant of God. Now, I don't think we're too unlike Jonah, right? We like to be in control of our lives. We like to determine our own path. We like to make our own decisions. And I think how we define justice is not how God defines justice. In our mind, we go, this horrible thing has happened, so this is how God should deal with it, or this is how the court system should deal with it, or this is how we should respond to it. But it doesn't mean that it's lined up with what God is doing and how God's going to use it. And there's something very dangerous that can happen when we get to that place where we think we know better than God and we don't need him. Our way is not God's way. Point three, we want justice, but God shows mercy. God is a merciful God. He's pursuing each of us relentlessly. And he wants to woo us back to him and bring us into relationship with him. And it's because he knows what's best for us. We don't. He knows the good plans he has for us. He wants to take the hard circumstances that we sit in and he wants to bring good out of them. And he wants to transform our hearts and our lives. The section we read on Jonah's response to God providing the plant for shade and then God taking that away. You know, God is using this to reveal Jonah's selfishness. He had placed, Jonah had placed his position, who he was, he was a Hebrew, his salvation, his comfort, above the people that he personally despised. His luxuries and his comfort were more than more important than salvation being offered to a broken people. God was offering mercy and love to Nineveh. He's offering it to all of us today. 
God, as I shared earlier, um, God had started a process in probably the last 10 years in my heart of just starting to put his finger on things, to work in my heart. And as I said, that's a process, right? Uh, I'm not alone on that, I hope. But he's working in all of us, and um, he does it a little bit at a time. He's so gracious because he knows we couldn't handle it all at once. But I want to share with you some, some things that he's been doing more recently in me. So a few, it's been almost, I think, three months now, um, I started dealing with um, some symptoms that, physical symptoms that were uh, challenging for me. And what I'm dealing with is an autoimmune disorder that just kind of came and hit my system. And so you might see me walking a little awkwardly this morning, and, um, but it's where basically your body starts to attack itself. And in this one, for me personally, it's attacking the membranes that sit on the sides of my joints. So it's hitting my elbows, my wrists, my hands, my knees, my ankles, my feet, my toes. Um, it can basically attack anywhere. And so what happens is there's a lot of joint tightness that it can be very limiting, especially um, during the first half of the day. <laughs> there's inflammation. Um, there's pain that goes with it. There is fatigue because you can't ever really get comfortable. So I'm currently being medicated for it. And, you know, God designed our bodies so uniquely. And so it's been a process trying to figure out what's going to work for me because what works for me might not work for someone else. And those of you dealing with these types of disorders, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm still with symptoms today that are kind of progressed a little bit, and it's pretty challenging. And I totally believe at any moment, God could just go, I'm going to supernaturally heal you, Vicki, and I'm going to reverse that. And um, I'd take that at any moment, if that's what God's will is. But I also believe with all my heart that there is purpose in our struggle. God's not inflicting this on me, but as I walk through this, he wants to show me things. He wants to do things in me, and he wants there to be purpose in it. I used to think before I, I knew Jesus that life, I just kind of, there was no purpose in life. I just kind of walked around, and you live your life, and then you die. That's so messed up. God is always working in our lives. He's always wanting to do things in us and use us and just love on us. And so I believe there's purpose in, in my pain today. So one day, I was experiencing a lot of pain. And um, I was really tired, and I was weary and weak. It's one of those times where you go, I know I need God, but I don't have anything to give him. I'd like to give him these stupid compression socks that I have to wear all the time, <laughs> but I couldn't. <laughs> but when you sit there and you go, I'm just going to sit before the Lord and I'm going to keep my thoughts on him. I'm going to lean into him. And I'm going to remember that he's good, even though sometimes I can't even get the words out to say it. 
And I'm just sitting there and I'm just spending time with him. And it's those moments when you go, he's like right here and you feel it and you know it. You don't see him with your eyes, but you can just see him, his presence. And God started to do some more heart work in me. And I began to feel very convicted by the Lord. And not in a negative manner, in a manner that he was coming so close and really showing me his heart and that he wanted my heart to look like his. And what he was showing me, he was giving me empathy and understanding for people who have struggled, not for three months, for several years, all their lives. And he wasn't just pointing out like chronic physical pain or illness, the relational struggles we go through, the hard things that we face, the broken marriages, the finances. And I felt like he was tenderizing my heart for those people. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, when you have that relative that, or that neighbor or friend that every time you get together with them and you got to hear about all their stuff, what's it do? It desensitizes you to them. It falls on deaf ears. And in our mind, we start judging because that's, we're human. And that's where I, I was. And I started to repent I was like, Lord, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And I asked him, show me if people I've discounted or dismissed because I just didn't, I was Jonah. I just didn't want to deal with it. I wanted my own way. And as I went through that process, I believe that God once again deposited some of his heart in my heart. He started giving me more of his compassion, more of his mercy, his patience for people, kindness for people, just the love and grace that he gives me. He wanted me to receive that so I can extend that to others. He gave me a Jonah lesson for sure. And he reminded me that he treasures all the people and he wants me to extend love and mercy to all of them as he does. He wants me to choose his way, not my way. And I know I'm not going to do it perfectly and I know I'm going to be repenting again and again. But he's a God of second chances and he never gives up on us. Would you stand with me? So if you're visiting today... Um, we like to close our time together of just waiting on the Lord. And we really like to give opportunity for all of us to respond to what God's doing in our hearts today. So I'm going to invite you, if you're comfortable, if you just want to close your eyes, I'm going to invite the Lord and I'm going to ask you to put your thoughts on him. Because I know as we hear talks, sometimes we're thinking about all the other people that need to hear this message. But today, it's you. What is it that God wants you to hear? What does God want you to take away? So let's just invite the Lord and take a few minutes. We just so love your presence, God. We say, come Holy Spirit. Would you magnify yourself right now when you just come and love on your people?
Just come, Holy Spirit. Just work in our hearts, Lord. Just receive his presence right now. He's here. He's magnifying himself. So I felt like there are some people here that can identify with Jonah and that you've been running. Maybe you've been running your whole life. I feel like there are some of you in particular that God has called you to something and whether you don't feel like you're worthy or you're scared or fearful of stepping out, I feel like God wants to recommission you today. So if that's you, as we call people forward, I invite you to come forward and just receive that from the Lord. I also felt like that there are some of us that do have that hardness in our hearts. Those places that just are so painful that you can't even go, but God wants to go there this morning, and he wants to start releasing healing into those areas. And I know that can be a really hard thing to come forward for and speak to someone, but when we do, when we respond to this invitation of coming forward, there are things that break in us. God breaks things off of us, and that's where the healing begins. So I really just encourage you and and just challenge you to go, just try it. Just try coming forward. And as I was talking about chronic pain and illness, and not just physical, but those hard struggles in your lives, we are a church that believes that God heals. But today I felt like God wants to reveal to you there's purpose in your struggle. And he wants to touch you and come close to you and remind you that you're not walking through it alone. There was also earlier, someone gave me a word, a teen, who felt like God wanted to call forward forward people with different lengths of legs. We all are not equal, but significant, where that is a real challenge for you. Maybe you're Uh, having to wear different size heels in your shoes, but God wants to call you forward and and do some healing. So if any of those, you want to respond to any of those, don't miss this invitation. This is an invitation from God. If, If there's anything else that wasn't mentioned and you need prayer, come forward. If you, uh, we always want to pray for physical healing, sickness, uh, and health. So begin coming forward. And as we do, Uh, Guys praying for guys, women praying for women will need some prayers. So come on forward. We're going to need some praying people. So if you're a follower of Jesus, just come up, put your hand on their shoulder and just invite the Holy Spirit. God will minister to them.
Thank you.
continuing to receive prayer, I just encourage you to do that. I'm just going to close this in a prayer. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are a God of second chances and that you're merciful and kind, that you're never done with us. And God, I am thankful that your ways are not my ways. Lord, whatever you're depositing today, I pray that you would seal that. And I pray that we would become a people who are yielded to you and can learn to love like you. So we just give you this time. We praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.